Well, good morning, Temple Baptist Church. Good to be with you this morning. Uh, today, we start a brand new series called This We Know. And over the next uh, several weeks, we're going to be sitting in the upper room and we're going to enter into the conversations there. We're going to have a really wonderful time together. I'm excited about this. So open your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 13. And while you're uh, turning there, let me just set the context for what is happening. Of course, this is the final night that Jesus will have with his disciples before going to the cross. And he has come to Jerusalem to eat the Passover feast with his disciples. And on the Thursday afternoon, Luke's Gospel tells us that he sends ahead uh, Peter and John to find this place, this uh, upper room, this room where they're going to sit and Jesus is going to take uh, partake of the Passover meal with them, and then he's also going to uh, bring this final teaching to them. And uh, so John chapter 13 uh, opens with Jesus and the rest of the disciples having gathered around the table in this upper room for this Passover meal. And uh, what a wonderful uh, story this is. And it's just so profound and so important to us as followers of Jesus and uh, how we live out the Christian life. Jesus is preparing them when he will no longer be physically present with them and they will go forward uh, in their life of uh, following Christ and making him known without his physical presence amongst them. Now, <clears throat> as we gather around the table, I want to show you a, a wonderful, brilliant piece of art that depicts this scene. This is by Bassano. He painted this in 1542. And look at this picture here. The detail is very interesting and brilliant as we enter into the story and we walk in the sandals of these disciples. Uh, each item on the table, look at the table there. It's not accidental. Uh, Jesus communed with the disciples, we know, with bread and wine. Notice there's an apple on the table. Bassano print, uh, painted that in, a symbol of the fall. And then notice the head of the sacrificial lamb there on the table. What imagery that is. And a symbol of resurrection. See the pomegranate? You notice that? And all of this contributes to what we are about to enter into. You notice there at the foot of the table, he's painted in two domestic animals, a cat. Uh, which represents sort of uh, treason, you know, because cats do their own thing, and a dog. The, the dog personifies uh, fidelity and companionship. And uh, notice the participants, the disciples, they're emotionally charged. Uh, tension is felt. The moment uh, most feel that, uh, that, that this is depicting is the declaration by Jesus that there's a traitor amongst them. And uh, the beloved disciple, John, has kind of dropped his head and seems to fall asleep. And all the other disciples are sort of vigorously discussing who could be the traitor. Everyone, of course, except Judas. And he's, de he's depicted there in those dark clothes on the left. Did you notice that? With lowered eyes. He does not scream and doesn't wave his arms. And he does not need to ask who. And this is the setting we enter into. So John chapter 13, let me read the text for you uh, of this wonderful, wonderful story. Hear the word of the Lord, beginning John 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. 
Then he poured water into a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. Verse 12, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you not understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. You call, me, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. This is God's word. Look at verse 1 as we dive into the text here. Look what it says there at the end. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, as we march through uh, John chapter 13 through 17, this upper room discourse, the term love is used 31 times. And it's Jesus is demonstrating, we're going to see over and over, and we've just seen the full extent of his love for these disciples. And Jesus modeled love, friends. We're going to see, ultimately, and we know that Jesus modeled love, ultimately, is laying down one's life and loving one to the end of one's life, perfectly, without anything held back, without any reserve. And so much of the gospel of Jesus, uh, the gospel teaching of Jesus, we see Jesus uh, in action and then he explains what has happened. And so we see it again right here in the upper room. And the reason why we see him in action and then explanation is this. Because, you know, information and understanding of the gospel without gospel practice, friends, is not the Christian life. Simple as that. And so what's most interesting, I think, as we look at the scene that we've just uh, unpacked is this. Uh, these are everyday guys sitting around this table, right? They're everyday guys from everyday experience. There's workers here and there's business guys. There's different personalities in different hometowns and different family backgrounds, everyday people. So who is sitting around the table? You know who I think sitting around the table? We're sitting around the table, all of us, any of us, could find ourselves in this story. And uh, why has Jesus assembled this group on this night? Why exactly has he done that? Because he's moved from the crowds in his public ministry, and these last weeks he's emphasized the few. He's moved from the fans that he's had to his true followers. And the last few hours of his earthly walk will be instructing his Few, his disciples, instructing us, his disciples. And uh, why is that? Well, because the kingdom of God is about 
to be about God working and Jesus working through us. The kingdom of God is about Jesus working through us. So he wants to impart whatever we need as he finishes his earthly ministry in this upper room. This is why this is so profoundly uh, important. This is why our series is This We Know. These are non-negotiables for the Christian life. We are his plan A. And we are his plan B. And, uh, you know, the, th- the, the reality is the disciples just don't get it. Now, what is it? I'm going to tell you in just a couple of minutes what it is. But it becomes very evident. Uh, even at the beginning of this dinner, if you follow the story in the other Gospels and unpack it, even at the beginning, as they were journeying to this upper room, they're arguing, who's going to be first? I want to be first. They, they, they just don't get it. And uh, they missed the chance that they had to wash the feet of God. Can you imagine? They could have washed the feet of God, but they missed it because they didn't get it. And we'll come back to that. The kingdom of God is about Jesus working through us. And part of the reason why he's assembled these disciples is because the problems in building the kingdom of God, really, the most significant, the most hindering issues, are not from out there. The issues are from in here. They are problems of the heart. And uh, so Jesus, he wants to deal with their heart. But you know what? He doesn't scold them. He doesn't uh, come down heavy on them. You know what he does? He loves them to the end. He washes their feet perfectly, sacrificially. And not, uh, you know what? People often say, Jesus is the greatest teacher in history. Do you know why he's the greatest teacher in history? Not simply because what he teaches, but that he also perfectly models that which he teaches. Not only does he teach it, he does it perfectly, sacrificially, sacrificial love. And people who live like Jesus and who look like Jesus, who you've said, man, that person sure is a lot like Jesus. You know why you say that? Because they don't simply fill themselves with biblical information. They pour blessing out on others by way of gospel demonstration. And so following Jesus, listen, following Jesus is about modeling our master in every regard. It's about modeling our master in every regard. Verse number two, during supper, when the devil already put it into the heart of Jesus Iscariot, Simon's son to betray him. Now look at Judas is fully committed at this point to betraying Jesus at this point. Verse three says, knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rises from supper. This is God standing up. This is deity. The the magnificent Jesus. But he's going to do something right now, frankly, that's optional. And it's certainly a way of living that's optional to us. And he lays aside his outer garments and he fills this basin. And verse 5 tells us that he begins to wash their feet. You know, I have come to realize in my life that you know what success is? And Jesus wants these Uh, ministers, these disciples, these followers of his, he wants them to be successful, fruitful, faithful in the ministry that he's about to hand them. And you know what? Uh, Success is about making those we serve successful. Did you hear that? 
Success is about making those we serve successful. And listen, here's the caveat. Here's the hinge point. Others' success usually comes by way of our sacrifice. That's what Jesus does. He, he acts in such humility. That's the kenosis passage of Philippians 2, where Paul writes, you know, don't look at each other and look at ourselves and, and, and think of ourselves as, you know, that we've, we're all that, right? But in verse 5 of Philippians 2, he says this, Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. Do you see that? If others are going to be successful, and we should want other followers of Christ to be successfully fruitful and faithful in their walk, it's going to require our sacrifice. And Jesus doesn't ask us ever to do anything that he doesn't do, except, I suppose, apologize, but he models it perfectly, as I've said. And the actions of Jesus stand in opposition to this idea of elitism among his people. You know, in Christianity and in, in Western Christianity, we have this elitist, you know, that there's, there's a pecking order. Jesus stands against that, right? That's why in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, Paul tells us, you know, that, that we need to have a clear thinking and not to think highly of ourselves than we ought to think. Jesus models what love looks like amongst his followers. It's a wonderful picture of this. And again, why does he do it in the upper room and not in the synagogue or the public square? Because he's dealing with the heart of his followers. He's dealing with our hearts this morning. And I'm certain these disciples must have been humbled by that experience. Verse 6, he came to Simon Peter, right? And he said, Lord, you do not wash my feet. Peter's like, I don't want to have any part of this. And Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you have no share with me. And then Peter, Peter says, well, you know, if you're going to wash me, I mean, I need the whole thing. Do the head, do, do, do it all. This is typical Peter, right? This is, this is sort of vintage Peter. He's getting in the way of God, it seems, again. Uh, and, and this is really the beginning of a series of actions that will create probably a significant regret for Peter. Right? He falls asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's supposed to be praying, and then he has this sort of feeble attempt at defending uh, Jesus as the guards come for him. And then, you know, the denial that he even knew Christ in the courtyard of Caiaphas. Jesus knew that. He knew what Peter was about to do. He knew this sort of chain of mistakes and missteps, and yet he still wants to wash them. He's a disappointing follower of Jesus, Peter. I, I am too. Right? I am too. He's a loudmouth uh, fisherman from Capernaum. He uh, wants uh, to have, you know, he, he's sort of gregarious. Wash all of me, right? But Jesus is saying, you know, there, there's two levels here, Peter. There's, yeah, your feet are, are dirty because you've walked the streets of the Galilee. But there's another level to it, right? He's saying, you know, you have a spirit, spiritual defilement because, you know what? You've got a sin that has ruined the human race, Peter, and it's part of your life. It's called pride. It's called pride. Uh, this one area. You don't need a bath, but you need to be cleansed in this one area. And he tells us that in verse 10, right? He says, you don't need, uh, you've already been bathed, but you do need to be completely clean. Uh, Peter had become a follower of the Lord Jesus, right? Remember up at Caesarea Philippi, Jesus 
asks his disciples, he says, who, who do people say that I am? And it's Peter. It's Peter that says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, you didn't figure that out on your own, Peter. God has uh, put that into you. That, that is from the Father uh, who is in heaven. He's revealed this to you. You've come into this level of understanding. So Peter is going to be and is at that mo moment washed in the blood of Christ. He's a believer in Christ. God is going to use him in a significant way. And in spite of all the mess-ups till now, and some that will follow, he is saved, redeemed, by the yet-to-be-spilt blood of the perfect Lamb of God. And that's good news for Peter. It's good news for all of us, right? That in spite of all of our missteps, that we're sealed by the blood of Christ. Peter was loved by Jesus, and he's going to be immensely useful to Jesus. But he needs this heart cleansing in this area of pride. We will not thrive together, friends. Jesus wants us to know this. As we move forward in life and ministry, we will not thrive together when pride gets in the way. It just destroys everything. And Peter needs to deal with this sin of pride. We all need to deal with this sin of pride. And the actions of Jesus stand in opposition to this idea of elitism. And elitism is a byproduct of pride. It's where it comes from, right? It's where it comes from. And that's why, again, I tell you that Peter said, uh, uh, Paul says, you know, don't think too highly of yourself. You've got to have a clear-headed view of who you are. You're a sinner saved by grace, right? And so Jesus deals with this. And then look at uh, the end of verse 10 and verse 11. And you are clean, he says to Peter, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. And that is why he said, not all of you are clean. Hmm. Judas. Judas. But here's the really, really incredible part of this whole story. Jesus knows the heart of Judas, and yet he does not react and respond to him differently. He washes the feet of Judas. He goes to Judas. Now listen, this, this is important. If you only take one thing away from the message this morning, take this. What Jesus does when he washes the feet of Judas, listen, that is not an anomaly of love. That is the biblical standard for love. Let me say that again. When Jesus washes the feet of Judas, that is the biblical standard for love. Isn't that something? A year before, at Capernaum, Jesus had identified Judas as his adversary. In John 6, uh, verse 70, he actually tells him, he says, Did I not choose the twelve? Did I not choose you? But one of you is a devil. So for a year longer, obviously, Jesus has known what Judas is all about. And yet he doesn't treat him differently. He continues to love him. It's magnificent. It's unfathomable. And let me just say that simple yet significant and sacrificial acts of loving service change a culture. Jesus wants to change this group of followers from a group of getters. I'd like to be first. Who's going to be first? Why can't I be first? From a group of getters to a group of givers. 
That is what this whole gathering about and this washing of the feet. It's, it's how to give as a follower and how to receive as a follower. I like what Church Father Origen wrote in the second century about this scene. He writes this, listen to this. Origen says, Jesus, my feet are dirty. Come even as a slave to me. Pour water into your bowl. Come and wash my feet. In asking such a thing, I know I am overbold, but I dread what was threatened when you said to me, if I do not wash your feet, I have no fellowship with you. Wash my feet then, because I long for your companionship. Friends, if you're struggling with the area of pride, you've got to have Jesus wash that from you. Wash your feet from the pride that infects you. And that will allow you to live this model of love. Perfect love is always carried in the arms of humility. Perfect love is always carried in the arms of humility. And that is what those disciples don't get. Remember I said they don't get something? If you want to serve God in any capacity, you must get this. That you know what? That you're perfect. If you're going to carry love, you're always going to have to do that in arms of humility, or you're going to expect the scale to be balanced. That's what pride does. It's reciprocal love, not unreserved love. And Jesus wants us all to understand that and, and understand that religious activity is must be done in love that evidences respect and empathy and trust and patience and long-suffering and truthfulness in anticipation of God working through us. And that warms the heart of God when that's the way we live and that's the way we serve and that's the way we love. Now let me give some application as we conclude this morning. Look at verse 12. When he had washed your feet and put on the outer garments, resumed his place, he said to them, Do you not understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Look down to verse 17. If you do these things, blessed are you if you do them. Now, if you've ever studied uh, the Sermon on the Mount, where you read blessed, blessed, blessed over, you'll know that the true definition of that is joyful. You'll be joyful. In Acts chapter 20, verse 25, Paul says this, In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. When you sacrificially and humbly serve one another in a way that they could never pay you back and there's no expectation that they can pay you back, you will be blessed. You will have a type of joy come into your life that you haven't experienced before. And I haven't always done a good job of that. And if I could turn back the clock, I would do a better job of that. Look at verse 15. For I have given you example... Remember what I said earlier? Jesus models perfectly that which he teaches. For I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Serving Jesus is always attitude and action, doing and being. Character is measured by how you bless others with no chance of reciprocation. 
Humility is the catalyst for perfect love. Now, let me ask you this. How are you doing in the area of humble, loving service to others? Because that's how we're going to thrive together. That's The upper room is opening with this washing of the feet of the disciples, this interaction with Peter, and Jesus is making known to us, right, that humble, loving service to others is paramount as a follower of Jesus. And my own humility, and I expect if you're battling pride and you need some humility, you know where humility is fostered? It's fostered when we have an increased sensitivity to our own sin. And that humbles us and allows us to live more sacrificially. So how might that change this year in 2022 for you, Temple Baptist? Are you a Christ follower in need of a foot washing? Do you need some area of your life cleansed so that you can give this humble, sacrificial service to God and love for one another? Service with sin is unacceptable to Jesus. Love wrapped in humility, sacrificially demonstrated, is the true picture of a follower of the servant king, Jesus. And notice the two verses that bookend this passage. Number one, right? It tells us that he loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. John is saying, watch how Jesus loves us here. Watch how he loves us. Perfectly, completely, beautifully, humbly. And then the last verse, verse 17. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. It's not good enough just to know them, but to do them. Remember earlier I said we are to model Jesus. He just doesn't give us the teaching to think about. He gives us a life to follow. When I was pastoring a wonderful godly man uh, in our church who'd been an immense friend and a tremendous encouragement to me as a pastor was dying with cancer. And he was in the very final days of his life. And so I went to visit him. He was bedridden. We had a wonderful time together. Uh, When I went to uh, leave, I leaned over. Interestingly, his name was John. I leaned over to him and he said, oh, are you going to give me a hug? He was so frail. I said, no, I'm going to give you a kiss. And I kissed him on the forehead. I didn't know if I would ever see him on this side of eternity. And it turns out I didn't. With my kiss on his forehead, he lifted his frail arms and grabbed a hold of my head and he pulled me down and he kissed me on the cheek. And he said, I love you so much as my pastor. Wow. It was so moving to me. I was so filled with emotion. I'm filled with emotion even as I think of it now. It was beautiful. It was a great blessing to me. It took me right to Jesus in the upper room in John 13. Do you know why? Because John, this man in this bed, modeled Jesus. He loved me to the end. He loved me right to the end. John modeled Jesus in that moment for me in such a profound way. I've never forgotten it. We are called to be Jesus for those around us in humble, loving service. That's how we thrive together, friends. Humble, loving service, because we've been washed and we know it. And we know from where we have come, and we know the beautiful, unrelenting love of Jesus that has brought us here. Love and service wrapped in humility. That is our foundational theme as the upper room unfolds, and we're going to have a good time together. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. 
Father, thank you, thank you that your Son modeled life for us in such a clear way, in such a powerful way. Father, give us the wherewithal. May your Spirit help us to live and to love like Jesus. And it's in his name we pray and for his glory. Amen and amen.